At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Malaysian journalist Joshua Paul. Joshua takes great photographs in different situations, and those photos really tell a story. So I'm really excited to share this episode because we talk a lot about journalism as a whole, why you can easily go from taking photographs to being a journalist slash videographer, and much more. Please enjoy. We have an amazing community at photographycourse.net where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, join photography contests, and much more. In our community, you'll also find a 52-week project that will provide you with weekly educational videos and challenges to help you improve your skills on a regular basis. This is an amazing opportunity for you to not only enhance your skills, but also grow your network and have a wholesome experience as a photographer. We're so inspired by the amazing photographs that our members post every day. When you join our community, you'll be able to make new friends and share your progress with a passionate group of people. None of this would be possible without our members' support, so we're very grateful. In order to keep things running, we're offering exclusive membership plans that will give you access to every part of our community and our premium courses. Use the discount code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD to get 50% off your first year as a member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join and use the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD without any spaces to claim your discount. Joshua Paul, welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, very nice to meet you, Taya. Thank you for having me. And my name is Joshua Paul. I'm a photojournalist slash visual journalist as well, based out in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I'm very happy to meet you. When I stumbled upon your work, I was really inspired by the way that you approach your subjects. And as we'll talk about later in this episode, you're also the director of photography now and you made a career transition and it's just very interesting to see how diverse your portfolio is and it was very eye-opening to read some of the stories that you've covered in the past i'm sure that the listeners will really enjoy finding out more about you let's start with camera equipment what gear do you use um for my camera gear for my photos for my stills i'm still using the canon and i'm a bit outdated in my equipment i'm still running on the canon 5D Mark Threes and the 5D Mark Fours. The reason why I've kept on to them is because they just work. You know, it's a camera that's been with me for a long, for a long time, and they've been with me, and it always got my work done using these two brilliant cameras. I have the Canon 5D Mark Two, so I feel like we're very close as photographers. High five. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then for my videography, I use the Canon C500 version 2. They are the cinema line for the camera. So that's the reason why I actually also 
have my 5D Mark IV is because I could share the lenses and I could also use the 5D, 5D Mark IV for some videography work every now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds really smart and very practical as well. And you said that you are a photojournalist and the director of photography now. Let's go back in time to when you first got into photography. What was your introduction to photojournalism like? I stumbled onto photography back when I was 20 years old. I was in university and I had a moment of like, I didn't like what I was doing. And when I was in university, I was actually taking a degree in English literature. Basically, what would that lead me is as a career path, I would end up as an English educator in our national education ministry. So when I was 20 years old, that was when I, hang on, I don't like what I'm doing, right? And I just look into looking at other stuff that I want to do. And I fell in love with photography then because I had a mobile phone. And I think it was in a Nokia 3320 or 3310. I can't remember what the model was, but it was basically a Nokia phone with a 3.2 megapixel camera. And basically that was all the photography that I was exposed to for the longest time. So while taking photos with my phone and I had a girlfriend back then who was a model who just called me out like, hey babe, can you like help me take some photos? And I was like, but I don't have a camera. <laughs> and what I did then was like, maybe I should buy a camera because I never had one. I only had my mobile phone. And when I bought a camera back then, it was a Sony A200 and Alpha. And the moment I took her photos, I did her portfolio for her as a model. And then that's when I started like taking landscape photos, you know, just going with the local photography group, like whatever events that they would go to, like motorsports, or I help my friends taking wedding photos, you know, and that's when I started finding out like, oh, I really love photography. And I did some research, find out like what career path there is if I were to choose this route. And I stumbled upon the Associated Press. Uh, it's an international news agency. So at 22 years old, after a couple of years of doing photography at 22 years old, then fast forward, I told myself like, by the time I do photos, if I were to be a photographer, my aim is to work for the Associated Press. And that was how it began. Mm, what an interesting introduction. So basically shout out to that girlfriend back then who inspired you to buy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was basically just her asking me like could i help her take some photos and that was all that it took me like i bought a camera and then i ventured into it and i found out about uh photo journalism then through my research finding out like what the associated press is and then i found out there's other news agency you know and that prompted me to tell myself like okay if i were to do photography i think i want to do photo and that's what I wanted to do because that would give me purpose, right, in my photos rather than just taking, like, let's just say an event photo or like food menu, commercial photos and all that. Mm -hmm. And did your dream come true? Did you end up working for the Associated Press? So I graduated from university at 24 years old. I did not straight away get a job at the Associated Press. I didn't know what I was doing. Truth be told, I was just a guy bumming around being a second photographer for almost anyone for any kind of jobs where there was wedding events concerts i assisted more senior photographers doing food menu fashion shoot magazine covers so i was doing all of that just trying to pay my trying to pay my bills while at the back of my head like ap is the goal and back then we did not have internet like what we used to have right now. There wasn't like much of YouTube pages that you could follow, channels. But what we had in Malaysia back then was a forum called Photo Malaysia. And Photo Malaysia was a platform uh, where all the photographers would, would go there, share their work, share event outings, photo outings, and everything is, is all there. And what I did was I started to search for documentary photo journalism stuff. And 
I bump into a a retired American Japanese who was based out in Malaysia, who was a photographer for all his life, and he used to photograph for the magazine Sphere. Uh, Sphere was Far Eastern Economic Review magazine. So I dropped him a message on the page forum, and I I just went like, "Hey John, my name is Joshua, and I aspire to be a photojournalist, but I have no idea what am I doing, and I would appreciate you if you could mentor me." And I bugged this guy for the entire month, keep dropping him messages mm. for him to re- reply to me. And one day he replied, and he said like, "Okay." If you want me to mentor you, all I want from you is to a one thousand words essay, and I just got blown away. I'm like, hang on, I need a photography mentor, not an essay writing mentor. And he's <laughs> like, nope, you write an essay and then we'll have a chat. And the title of the essay that he wanted me to write was, "Why is photos important in journalism?" And it was a very easy essay. The, Title says says it all, and I think this was when my degree in English helped me. So I did write the essay. I crafted the essay. I wrote it. After a week, I went back to this guy and said, "Like, hey, John, here's my essay." And when he looked at it, it's like, you know, you are the only guy who have came up to me to mentor who actually wrote the essay. And so because you listen to me, I'm gonna teach you now. Like, I'm gonna mentor you. I'm like sure, man. Thank you very much. But I, then I told him, like, you know what? I have no money to pay you. I have nothing. But if you are willing to mentor me, I'll listen to you. And yeah. So what happened then was he looked at my portfolio then, and the first thing came from his mouth was, "Your photos are shit, man." <laughs> yeah. And I was just a young, twenty-four-year-old kid looking at him like, "Hang on, what did I do wrong?" And the next thing is like. That's totally fine, but now let's start talking about how to make your photos better. So he mentored me for about a year. We went out shooting, taking photos of like events that happen around in Malaysia,、uh, the Indian festivals. You know, in Malaysia we got multiracial, right? So we try to photograph all the different festivals, and then he would try to teach me how do I write an essay with the photos. So when that happened,、uh, and the next thing that happened in Malaysia, I think back, I was already it was 2014. Then I was about 27 years old, I think. What happened was the tragedy, the MH370 that happened in Malaysia,、uh, the aeroplane that went missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What an amazing introduction to photography! You had somebody who really cared about you, and b- before. Teaching you how to take photographs that really tell a story through photojournalism, and then with the tragedy, of course, I'm sure that was a completely different experience for you as a storyteller and as a photographer. Yep, yep. I will try to connect what I told you earlier on. What what this guy told he taught me. My mentor said like photos and words goes hand in hand. So what happened was when MH370 happened, I was ready to work. So I was free freelancing. For a couple of newspapers, couple of news ag- agencies, small news agencies, I was putting up my photos on like smaller boot- boutique agencies like Nur Nur Photo out of Italy, and then Sipa USA out of New York, I think. So I just randomly started sending out the photos that I take at while the crisis happened, and during that MH370 was my 9/11. It was the Breaking news that I needed to get myself out from my comfort zone, from doing commercial photographies like events for、uh, weddings, brochures, and all that. Right, trying to try to transition myself from doing commercial work to photo during the breaking news of MH370, and I covered the crisis, the tragedy for one year as a freelancer, and. During that time, the Associated Press was just looking for a second photographer, so they had a vacancy, and I applied for it using my portfolio of one year while I was working covering the MH370, and 
I guess the gods were on my side. The sun, the stars, the moon was all aligned. And I got the job. So I did land it up working for AP. And as you were photographing the tragedy, as you were working with your mentor, what did you find was the most helpful advice that he gave you during that time? The most helpful advice I got from him then was be different. I think the key word that you're telling me, be different, do not photograph the obvious. Because when you are a freelancer, you are going against the bigger boys, right? People who are photographing for AP, Getty, Reuters, AFP, you know, that all the major news outlets are there. So the one image that I really did differently than everyone, if you could look at my website, then I had a picture where there were two ladies that were hugging each, each other. And what I did was, how I really did differently was I work at night when everyone has left the, the airport, they have left the hotels where the next of kings are all be in. I stayed back. So I slept in my car, which I parked in the parking lot. I just slept in my car. And then about nine o'clock in the evening, I'll go into the hotels and just hang around there when there are not many photographers. So that gave me the edge of photographing something that nobody is photographing. And it paid off. What happened was I managed to see a Malaysia Air- Airlines crisis manager, I think. I can't remember what her what this person's role was. But she was consoling the next of kin in the hotel lobby. And she consoled her and I photographed from the back, right? And the back of her jacket said Malaysia Airlines crisis team. And then you see the next of kin breaking down in tears. And that framing looked like a heart, like a heart shape where two person's head was meeting. And when I photographed that, the first person I contacted was the senior photographer then who was working for the AP. And I sent him the photos and he was like, oh, no, I don't think we are buying more, any more photos. And I think the photos is not that, it's not that clear. It's not that sharp. I can't remember what was it, but because I think I was using a 7200 lens and the minimal focal was a bit too close. So it wasn't sharp. You could see the picture, the picture works. It's just, it's not pin sharp. So. I was quite disappointed. I called my mentor up. He said, you just send me the photos. Let me have a look and I'll edit it for you. So he looked at the sequence I had. He, he selected a sequence for me. And then he told me like, you know what? Don't give up. Send out these photos to any of the agencies that you are giving to. So I think I sent it to SIPA USA and Nor Photo. And the next day, that photo was used on time.com as the opening photo to report the MH370. Oh. Yeah, and that motivated me. Like That showed me like, wow, this is the, the impact of a good photograph. Like this is what it does, right? Through that photograph, the, in, the information of photograph was enough. You have a next of kin who was crying. You have a Malaysia Airlines person who is consoling her and at the back of her jacket says it all. So that's when I saw like, journalism is that, right? Photojournalism, this is, how it should be. In that image is enough information. It tells the who, the what, the how, and the when, right? So it came out on time.com and that was my year number one. So I just kept on working, working, and then I got into the Associated Press the following year. And the year I got into the Associated Press, it was basically approaching the anniversary of MH370, one year on. And when I joined the Associated Press, my Asia-Pacific chief photo editor is brilliant, brilliant photographer and a good manager as well. His name was Charles Darapa, uh, Charles Darapa, who was a Thai-American. And he was based out in Bangkok. And when I joined the AP, the advice that he gave me when I contacted him, like, what's one advice that you give me as a young photographer? And the only thing he told me, Taya, was photojournalist. Journalism comes first, then your photographs. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, it dawned on to me what my mentor told me 
couple of years ago, like learn to write your essays, learn to write, learn to tell your story, and then the photos would make sense. So that was my year number one in AP. And then don't, lo and behold, my boss then just told me like, that's one advice I would give you. Photo journalism. Journalism comes first, then your photos. That's incredible advice. And it really shows in your work. Because I, while I was looking through your portfolio, I was looking at the photographs. There was one specific incident that you photographed in Malaysia. A few high school girls who had these hallucinations. And mm, mm. it made a lot of sense for me to read the story as I was looking at the photographs. Because if I had just seen the photos, it would have made sense to a certain degree that I wouldn't have known the details. So it helped a lot, gave so much depth to the photographs to have a well-written piece be placed in strategically in, under certain photographs. So I can definitely see that influence and I can see that you've taken that advice to heart because you're doing a very great job with telling stories, mixing words and photographs together. Yep, and you know, since you brought you brought that article up, that was actually for the BBC, I think. I was working with a reporter out of Singapore and working with with her, what Todd taught me was the relationship between the photographer and the writer is important. Having that discussion on what the output is, what our narrative is, what our target audience is, you know, like having that discussion on like, how can I amplify the words or how she could use her words to amplify the photos that I'm trying to show. And if you look at one of the photographs, it was a portrait of a girl where she was putting eyes onto her hand, right? And basically that image is her telling us like how she feels when she's having her hallucination, right? She would say that she goes into a dark, into a dark place and she feels like she's she's someone in hell where there's fire around her. So when I took that photograph, I used like gels to create that warm light to simulate that fire warm that she would feel when she goes into the hallucination part of her her dreams or I don't know what's the right word to say in English, but in Malay, that's what we call it, hallucination, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's important to have good conversations with uh, the person who's writing the story and to have a good relationship with them for you to both be on the same page. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. When you take yep. photographs of people, do you make recordings or take notes yourself? Is there anything special you do to get a better understanding of what's happening? I do take recordings based on if I am also writing a report for it. For example, if you look at the, my portfolio, there was there's a photo essay called Rooms of the Lost. I photographed that to document the next of kin of the MH370. And... I call it Rooms of the Lost because it's basically us photographing the rooms of the people who was on the plane and the family not re refusing to change anything. How the room looks like, how the shelf looks like, how the cupboard looks like since their family member was missing. Mm -hmm. So when I was doing that, I had to interview everyone. So when I photographed that, when I did a photo essay, I went alone. There was no tax person with me. So I was the photographer and I was also the person who was going to write it. So 
I do take recordings. I take them on on my mobile phone, just put it on record, and then I just interview them, get them to talk to me about what are they showing me, what do they feel when they show it to me. Like for example, there was one lady who kept her husband's boxers briefs where he wore to sleep, and pair of briefs she kept it for one year at the exact location where the husband left it before he went to work. And you know when she was sitting at the bedside explaining to me, she went into tears. She was very sad. She was emotional. So recordings like that helped me remember things more vividly. You know, like when I want to write my report, or I would want to know like how I want to write my captions in the photos later, so that I have all the information that I need. So yeah, I do take rec- recordings, Taya. And also, I do also take voice recordings for some of the photo essays that I that I do. Some photos that I that I do, like some of the pro- projects, if I wanna have like a multimedia piece to go on with it. Like a couple of years ago, I was in Indonesia. I I joined a workshop then on photo documentary stuff, and what I did was I photographed cock fighting where the Indonesian men would rear wild chickens caught fighting and then they would put it to fights right where they would do the illegal bettings so i know that i want to present the photo essay as a as a audio visual piece so what i did was i had a zoom recorder who recorded the voice of the 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 people speaking to their cocks right their prayers like talking to their friends when they're putting their bets you know so all this voice recording helps when you want to present the work that you are trying to show. Yeah, and if someone doesn't know anything about that and they listen to the recording and they read the words and they look at the photographs, then it's as if they're there in the moment. So you're yes. giving them that atmosphere, that experience, and that's important as well. well I've never yeah. heard of that. It's really interesting. Our online photography community is a place where you can grow your skills and learn something new every single day. If you want to join conversations like this one and connect with like-minded photographers from across the world, you're in the perfect place. We have a special discount code for our podcast listeners. We're offering 50% off your first year as an extraordinary or limitless member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code greatbigphotographyworld. You just mentioned sensitive topic, you know, interviewing mm-hmm. people after a tragedy and having to photograph them and record those conversations while they're grieving as a photojournalist what advice would you give to people who have to deal with sensitive situations like that i think first and foremost that we have to remember that we are all human beings and whether you are victim or you are the photographer you are the photojournalist you are the you are all human beings so when i approach a topic like that what i practice all the time i don't carry my camera out i just leave it down and i'll just talk to them and i approach them not as someone who wants to photograph them i just approach them as a fellow human being just being there listening to them you know just get them to share everything that they want to talk, let them be themselves with me, that they don't feel that I'm just an outsider trying to photograph, letting them know that I'm sincerely here, that I'm here to listen to you, I'm here to document your emotions, and I'm here to just let other people know. The bottom line is, while doing all of that, I'm also just here as a human being, listening to you, consoling you, some people may think that you are being too part of it that you know like there's an old saying that when we are doing news we shouldn't be part of the news right we shouldn't be part of the story but i beg to defer like at the end of the day we are all human beings and always approach that you know it's easy to be someone who just wants to document report but it's not easy to be a human a human being first and i would say like that's one thing that i would advise anyone doing stuff like this is like be a human being first and then next be a photographer 
I think that's fantastic advice. And as you said, it's definitely something to take a photograph and just leave it at that. And I understand that in tragic situations, it can be very emotionally difficult to experience that yourself. But if you do, then you are able to connect with people better and you're able to show them that you're just human like them, as you said. And I think that's more ethical. Yep, yep. You know, there's a book called On Photography by Susan, what's her last name? Susan something, I can't remember now. But okay, there's a book called the On Photography, right? And the author said, you know, when we are photographing, we are taking something out from someone's life. And mm. that is where I feel like, you know, always be a human being first. Because when you photograph, you're taking part of your life, part of their privacy, and you are showing it to everyone, right? You are exposing them, you know, you are exposing them and they're most vulnerable, you know, like you're taking that moment and you're showing it to everyone. You are exposing it, right? So I think us as photographers doing topics like this is that you got to remember that when we take, we got to give back. You know, if you are just taking, then I guess that's where you have failed as a photographer. You know, you're not just taking away from people. You know, you got to give it back as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that's very ethical and as difficult as that may be for the you as the photographer, as I said earlier, it does create a connection and you give and you take and there's a balance there that's really important in photography. Because if you constantly take, then what are you really producing as a photographer? You're just taking photos for the sake of it, for money, for whatever. But if you connect with people as a human being, then I think it's just a better way to approach everything, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah agreed. You, one of your photographs that you said in which uh, two people were embracing after the tragedy, um, that was featured on time.com. That was probably yeah. one of your first big features right that was a huge opportunity for you after that who was the next big client that you had after that i think before i joined the ap my next big client was the australian the newspaper i worked with a reporter uh you know truth be told like, i learned a lot just working with this lady she's a senior trauma writer if i remember correctly her position but she was the senior correspondent for the Australian. I think the Australian is under the Rupert Murdoch Media Group, I think. But it was one of the major newspapers, right? I would say that they, they were my next big client that I ever had before I actually worked for the, a the AP. Because in my career, I started in commercials, photography, and then I freelanced for about a year before I landed myself in the Associated Press, which I worked for three years. And then after three years, I resigned from the Associated Press, 30 years old. And then I've been freelancing ever since. It's amazing. It was very bold of you to do that. I know it's very difficult to go from having you know, a stable job with a stable income and then choosing to be independent as an independent photographer, how do you manage your time? Do you have any time management tips for photographers? Honestly, I don't have a fixed formula for it. But what I do is I set my mind to it. Like I work 11 months in a year. And then I take a break at the end of the year for one mm -hmm. month. And usually I do it from January to November. That's my working time. And then December is when I take a time off. And then I come back to work probably like mid of January. So I think I practice like a very vague time management where I set my mind to it. Like this is my working period and I will just work. And I will just go all out throughout the period of time. But I do have short breaks in between where I was definitely want to have some work-life balance, right? Like I have time for my exercise, my hiking, my outdoor livings that I like to do, I like to go for my motorcycle rides and stuff. But yeah, I think that's just a basic time management that I would have. Like I would set my mind to it, like financially, like I want to earn X amount of money for the year. Like this is what I, what I need to fulfill my obligations and my commitments. And that's what I would set myself to do it. Like I achieve it. And then if I get it earlier, then I go on a holiday earlier. 
or if I don't get it that fast, then I just continue working until the end of the year and then I go for a month's break before I come back to work again. Mm. Yeah, it sounds nice because it's flexible. You're not too strict with yourself, but you do have some kind of an idea of what you want to achieve. I think that's good enough. Yeah, I think really, you know, like I guess like we are not in a corporate world, so you don't need like that nine to five thing. But I do spend time like every month I look for a topic, I read up on a certain topic that I want to work on some issues that I want to pay attention more towards, you know, and that's all I I would do as long as I have a clear sense on what I want to, that I want to achieve. So my business model then is like, I'm running a business. I'm the business where I sell my services as a photographer, a videographer. And once I set myself to it, and that's all I would aim it for. Yeah, it sounds great. And this is something we talked about briefly before I started recording, but you said that you're now mainly focusing on being the director of photography. So what was that career transition like? So after I left the Associated Press when I was 30, I think that was at a peak where journalism was taking a shift again, you know, from film era to our digital age. That was early 2000s, I think. And then at 30 years old back then, that was I think 2016, I think. So that was, again, there was a shift in the world where journalism was moving towards more online, right? Uh, Prints are dying, you know, in that sense. So when I left the Associated Press, one of my bosses from the video department then told me, Joshua, you you should really start looking at videos. And he said, you are already a photographer, you know, you have the background of framing your composition, you know, and you have done breaking news, you know, the deadlines, you know, the pressure. And he was just like, yeah, I think you should start start looking at breaking news, videography, you know. And I just told him, but I have no experience. And him being a nice boss, former boss I had, he was like, we'll take you in as a freelance for AP video. And so that was how I did the switch. You know, once I resigned from from AP photos, I was just doing various gigs. I was photographing. I was doing some fixing work as a fixer. And then that when there's a breaking news, the, the Associated Press boss would call me like, hey, we need someone to film this event. So it was basically like trial by fire for me. So it was trial by fire in the sense that there's a breaking news and the boss like, you go film it and I'll try to, to guide you through it. So I did that. Again, I had a big breaking news in Malaysia. Uh, If you recall, uh, there was a North Korean man which was assassinated at the airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was a big news again in Malaysia. And so the Associated Press needed freelancers to be able to work. And I was available, so I switched from doing photos, I did video. And it was trial by fire because it's breaking news, right? It's fast, you know, and that's it. There's pressure, bosses are calling, we need this video out now, you need to shoot, you need to edit, you need to write your script. And I guess that's the best place to learn, you know, like I was learning to shoot, I was learning to edit, and I was learning to write my scripts. That's the best way you can learn, you know, and that was how I did the, I did the, I did the switch from photos, video, and just by learning to shoot and edit, that taught me a lot because you're not only filming on your camera, but you're also editing in at the back of your head. Like when you film this shot, how are you going to create your sequence? So by the time I drag it into my laptop to edit the package, I didn't spend a lot of time that I didn't that I need to cut. It because in the camera, I've, I've already shot it in a way that is already, ed- already edited. In that sense, when I drop the footages in, it's already in sequence. So I did not spend a lot of time by just wasting my time like cutting here cutting there you know so by the time i drop in i could write my script and yeah so it was breaking news again that taught me to do video and after i did that for about a, about a year i was fixing for vice news i started off as a fixer with vice on their year number one when they launched in asia then i think this was also i think early 2016 so I started as a fixer there, fixing for their producer. And I started to pitch for documentaries to flow with, with, with Vice. 
and I traveled with them to Bangladesh during the crisis, the migration crisis back in 2017. And the producer found out that I wasn't just a fixer. She found out that I could take photos and she found out that I could do videos because she saw the way I was taking mobile phone photos. And then she one day just asked me, do you film? I'm like, yeah, I do film. I do breaking new stuff for the agencies. And so the next documentary shoot that we went on, she got me on as a camera operator. So I was the second operator to the director of photography because if I shoots with camera A and B all, you know. So I started from a fixer to camera B and then I did that for seven years up till today where Vice News is now defunct. They don't exist anymore. And I worked my way up from a fixer to camera operator to director of photography. That's amazing. What an incredible journey you've had. Career transitions and then trying something completely different and breaking news and learning from that as well. I think it's a great skill to have being able to tell a story as a videographer. Before you even start editing, you already know pretty much the sequence. And I think it's a great skill for photographers to have, even those who aren't getting into cinematography and and everything else. It really helped, you know, like the transition being from a photographer, I think it helped me a lot when I switched, you know, because when you are a photographer, you work on photo essays, right? You're also like working on sequences, you know, like you have your opening shot, you know, you have your mid ones, you know, like trying to do a sequence of 12 photos, 15 photos or 21 photos, right? So I think that taught me a lot to understand what sequencing is and learning to use good sequences to let your your audience understand the the issue that you are covering. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's fantastic. I really, I'm very impressed by people who are able to tell a story through their photographs in a specific way and you just look at the photos and you have an idea of how everything went. It's very, it's a challenging skill to acquire, I think, but it's worth it if you put the effort in it and it's very clear in your work so thank you Taya. now you work for netflix as well right i don't, i am a freelance so i wouldn't say i work specifically for them i work for anyone but uh i the latest work that i've done was for netflix uh, so i came a full cycle from covering the mh370 topic i started off as a photographer and then like i think after eight years I've done a full-on definitive documentary with Netflix on the topic, the MH370. It was only out, I think, about a month ago. So, yeah, I was the DP on the documentary. And, yeah, it's a full cycle for me, Taya, like coming from a photographer covering that one same topic that I would say, like, basically formed my entire career as a photographer, as a... Uh, as a news person you know absolutely yeah full cycle indeed and what a great opportunity for you to do that and to tell the story you i'm sure know the story like the the event very well as someone who's been covering it for many years and so i'm glad that netflix hired you to do the job because i'm sure you were able to tell the story very eloquently thank you yeah i I guess it really helped you know that relationship that i had with, with the next of kin that they trusted me, you know, like every time I go back to them, like, hey guys, you know, like I'm doing this article or this photo essay, you know, or like this video for clients. And they have trusted me, like they know that I as a photographer, a videographer, that I will always be the voice of what they want to share. Like they give me that kind of trust. So I guess that really helped through that eight years of covering this. Like I. I've built that relationship with all of them, with the next of kin. And until today, I am still friends with the 10 crew members, the next of the family of the 10 crew members who was on the plane. Wow. It goes back to what you said about being a human first and a photographer second. If you have a good relationship with your subjects, then you will have a relationship with them your whole life, potentially, and they will trust you. And that's so precious. Yeah, it is. You know, like having that trust that they would, give it to you then that gives you the access right to their life to what you may want to photograph with what you want to show so i guess that really helped that um when we did that documentary the producers they asked me for a couple of help like trying to connect them with the next of kin that they were looking for and 
Helen to agree to the documentary was also, I would say it was, I would really give it to that relationship that I had with all of them, that, that trust that I've built. Because I know we, without that, I don't think they would have agreed to be on the documentary, you know, for a topic that had been dragging on for so many years. And then you go back, getting them to talk about it, and then they get all emotional and sad about it all over again. You know? That's true, yeah. To go back to a memory like that, you really need to trust someone to yeah. know that you won't exploit that. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really happy to hear that you have a great relationship with them and that you've been able to continue documenting their stories. I'm sure that your empathy has helped them in many ways. As a videographer, as the director of photography, what advice would you give to just photojournalists or just photographers who want to get into videography? Don't be afraid. Try it. Don't be afraid. That's all I could say. You know, like, don't fall into that into that hole, into the black hole where someone would tell you, you are killing your craft. You're not being true to your craft. Like I, like, I don't believe that, you know, back to what my former boss who told me, photojournalist, right? Journalist comes first. So I always look myself that like I'm a journalist first. The medium is secondary to me. You know, I could do photos, I could do video, I could do text, I could do a podcast, I could do, you know, it doesn't matter because to me, it's, I am a journalist. I, I just want to tell all these topics, all these issues that I'm covering, all these kind of stories that I'm in touch with, you know, like that's the role that I have, you know, to tell all these stories. So when you are a photographer taking a switch, I would say, don't be afraid. Take that, take that leap of faith, you know, like, because at the end of the day, even a video, right? If someone were to question you, to me, at the end of the day, a video is still a, is still a set of photographs, right? If you're shooting at 25 frames, you still have 25 frames in a second. It's still a compilation of photos. It's a motion photo. It's still the same thing, guys. You know, there's nothing wrong about it. So, yeah, don't be afraid. Try it out. Do it. I think it's fulfilling, you know? And I would gladly say, I would proudly say, like, I think the career change that I did, that move that I did, is fulfilling because I get to do more what I couldn't do with one set of photos. Now I could have audio in it. I could have motion in it. And I think that's more elements that the audience could understand, could appeal to. That's amazing advice. And I'm so happy that videography is fulfilling to you. I think, of course, it can be more impactful, as you just said, being in charge of music or audio voiceovers and then the moving pictures and all the elements that go into that. That can sometimes be even more impactful than a set of photographs, as you said. And yeah, I think it's so nice that you acknowledge that you're a journalist. You can go in any direction that you like at any point in your life. So I don't think people should ever feel stuck just by because they have labeled themselves a certain way. You can be a photographer today and a, and a videographer tomorrow if you think that it's more fitting for you. And it's beautiful that we have these opportunities today as photographers. It's, it's really, really beautiful to me. Yeah. I have one more question for you. And that is, sure. what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I think what I would really want is I would like photographers in Asia to have more recognition. I would say in specifically like Mal Malaysia, I think we are not well recognized outside of our own. And when I work with foreign clients, I've always been very proud. Like, you know, like I'm, like I will always joke with my clients like, hey, you finally had a, have a brown Asian man working for you. I think that's the, big thing that I really want to achieve is like to get that recognition for the other Asian people, the other Malaysian who is like, who is like me and other young photographer is trying to make, trying to make a name for himself. Like that's what I really want to achieve because in terms of work, I think I'm living the, I live the dream that I, that I dreamt of, like I'm living it already. So what I really want to do right now is just to carve out a pathway that the next person behind me could do better than what I than what I've done. 
that that's what I really want to see. Like the next Malaysian photographer than DP or something could have a better career path. It's such a humbling answer. I really like it. And on the podcast, I've met a lot of, well, because of the podcast, I've met a lot of very talented Malaysian photographers and videographers like you. So it's always a pleasure to meet someone from a different country who cares about their culture and wants to carve a path, as you said, for younger photographers of other generations. And I'm sure that you will be able to do that because you already have such a strong portfolio. You have so many skills. And it's just a matter of fearlessly moving forward and sharing your work with everyone. And you're already doing that. So I wish you the very best with your journey. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It was really fun and I learned so much and I'm very grateful for, for your contribution. Thank you so much, Daya. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with Joshua Paul and I'm so happy that he was so open about his experiences as a journalist. I really like what he had to say about being a human first and a photographer second. If you're interested in journalism, I hope that this interview inspired you in some way and hopefully encouraged you to move forward fearlessly. And if you have any questions for Joshua, or if you just want to share your thoughts on these episodes with us, make sure to join our online photography community. There's a link to it in the description. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Our photography community wouldn't be what it is without its amazing members. We're working on many exciting projects and have lots of great perks waiting to be discovered by you. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive all kinds of perks. If you join as an extraordinary member, you'll get an ad-free experience, access to every subforum, access to our 52-week project, the ability to connect with all of our members, and more. As a Limitless member, you'll get all of the perks that I just mentioned and access to all of our premium courses and Lightroom presets. This is the perfect opportunity for anybody who wants to elevate their skills without paying thousands of dollars for courses. We're sure that you'll love being a part of our community if you're a fan of this podcast. In addition to meeting new people, you'll learn something new about photography every day, which will help you improve quickly. It's also much more fun to take photographs when you have a group of amazing photographers supporting you. Go to photographycourse.net to find out more and to get 50% off your first year as a member. We can't wait to see you in our community. And again, just as a reminder, go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD. We can't wait to see you there. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.